0: So, I wasn't able to find a diagnosis of DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, until late 20s. Because some of my parts had actually gone all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida, when I'm from Chicago. And it was just another example of my life where I had dissociated and had no idea how I had wound up in Florida, but there I was in a neurologist's office at the Mayo Clinic. (laughs) Tricky things, and the more I began uh, speaking more openly on social media, the more I began to realize that, wow, okay, there's a lot of people who have a story like this. Right. And that I find unacceptable, because if it's up to these psychologists, psychiatrists, various types of doctors to help people like me, then why aren't they able to do so? Right. So that's kind of how and, we started doing it.
1: Absolutely. And I love that because, you know, as a mental health professional myself, I, I don't like how things are done. I think we have a long way to go. I think that, you know, we have to take into account people's stories and identities in order to provide the proper service. And I don't think we do enough of that.
0: trauma, because if you work in an ER, for example, you'll see people come in with trauma. And right. I think there's there's this missing piece. They're not connecting fully to the fact that, yes, trauma impacts the body, but it also impacts the brain, but then it impacts the mind. And I think the
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I think this is great. And I like that mental health is taking a shift and we're talking about these things so much more openly. Yes. It really gives me hope for a better
0: future. Yes, absolutely. I, I very much agree with you there. Um, and that's, that's one of those things that I always, I always tell people because that's one of the, the big questions that we get asked from doctors specifically mm. is, well, if this is so triggering, how can you do it? And my reasoning there is, well, first of all, I'm not entirely positive why. I don't deal with things emotionally though. Um, So for me, this isn't triggering. For my parts, it certainly is. But for me personally, it's not specifically triggering. And I think that the goal for me and us specifically is so future generations don't have to do what we're doing. They can just go to a doctor and get help.
1: Absolutely. Right. We're paving the way, hopefully.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly that. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the We and Me podcast. This is Erica with you today. We're quite pleased that through the beauty of technology, and as some of you know, I fight back and forth with technology, but we were able to find Jose and he had this really neat project going, the Phoenix Empowered, that we had come across on Twitter. He is also a holder of a psych degree and he has studied... Uh, addiction, which, as some of you know, is something that touches close to home for us. Thank you for joining us today, Jose. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have a conversation.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I love that you put it that way, because as our listeners know, we I am one who is very, very into conversation. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs>
1: Well, that's good because I think that's the way to kind of have authentic comfort, uh, authentic relationships, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am, I'm very much in agreement there. So I want to, I want to take just a, a couple minutes here for our listeners and have you just share some about your background, your story, go a little bit more in, in detail than I had just done in your basic intro, but tell people about the Phoenix Empowered and why you wanted to get into psychology and mental health work. So I've had a
1: passion for mental health work for 10 years now, and I always knew that this was the field I wanted to go into, and I wanted to quote-unquote help people. But then I went to school, and I realized that it was a lot more than just helping people. In fact, we don't help people. We don't advise people. It's about going on a journey with people. And then about two years ago, somebody had asked me to speak, and I was like, yeah, sure, you know, I present all the time. I can present research. I can present best practice. Like, We can do that for sure. Uh, and they said, no, we want you to share about who you are as a person. And that took me aback because, you know, as an academic, we're not trained to do that. We're not trained to talk about ourselves. Right. And, yeah. And so that was a struggle. And I, I'm i the kind of person, when I commit to something, I don't say no afterwards. So I was like, well, now I have to do this. So, <laughs> so what am I going to do? And, you know, I mulled over it for a while. And I said, okay, you know what? Maybe this is the universe's way of telling me that I need to delve a little deeper. And, you know, I had studied identity and it always hit close to home, but never really thought about what it meant. And so, you know, two years ago, I took the stage and talked about what my life was like being, you know, a Latinx man with a disability who also identified as LGBT and the struggles associated with that. It was absolutely life changing. It was like a ceiling that was there that I didn't even know was there shattered. And I was like, oh no, there's no way I can go back now. And I found, you know, the beauty of storytelling. And, And through that, you know, I decided I wanted to do more and developed this platform, The Phoenix Empowered, which I just launched now in November.
0: That's really exciting. I love hearing about people, where they've come from, the ins and outs of their own personal journeys, why they start doing the things they do, because I know you said you studied identity. And for me, I think it's more I I've studied more social behaviors. So not specific to someone's identity whether that be how they themselves would identify. So people people always say, "Well, who are you as a person?" And then they say, "Well, you know, I'm a photographer. I'm a lawyer." You know, they give you their career. And that's that's just one part of the person.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I always found that interesting when people do that. It's not that I don't think you, if someone asks you that question, you should say that because that is a big part of your life. If you're working 40, 120 hours a week, that's a huge part of who you are as a person. And then when you take into account why people do the things they do, it's always, that piece is always more interesting to me, the why.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, I live by the philosophy of always find your why. And I work at a college and I tell the students, your diagnosis is one part of you, I operate under the assumption that human beings are, you know, so many different identities and different quote-unquote labels all intersecting together and working together to create this beautiful, you know, art piece. And so, yeah, I totally resonate with what you're saying.
0: I like the way you said that. Always find your why. That's such a profound statement to me. Because for me, as some of our listeners know, one of the biggest problems and inconsistencies of my life and one of the most damaging pieces was nobody ever asked why I did something or who they thought was me doing something when in actuality it was one of my parts or alters and I had no memory of it. I just said, I don't remember that, but I believe you because I just assumed that people who I recognized as closer to me in my life, why would they lie about that? Mm Mm-hmm. But it's such an interesting way of looking at things for me, like the always find your why. That's very important.
1: And I mean, how do you know someone if you don't know why they do what they do or why they want what they want? I think at this age when we have technology and it's so easy to connect with people, it's also so easy to have that surface level conversation yes. and never really delve deeper. Uh, and we need to work on that, I think.
0: Yes, I, I very much agree with that. As someone who does not have, well, first of all, I don't have a degree. We were never able to fully commit to college because for me, well, if you sign up for college and you're dissociating through half your classes, I couldn't retain some of the information. Now, that being said, I did I did read and study on my own time. And then when it t- came time for an exam or when it came time for all sorts of different things that you knew. class projects group projects individual projects it became very tricky for me because my life was very messy and chaotic my identity with DID dissociative identity disorder my identity was very fragmented mm. <laughs> another example of that is i had woken up come back to however people phrase that differently but in the sense that i had no real idea that i was even taking college classes I just woke up again in a classroom one time when I was, I think I was about 20, 21. I didn't even know what college I was at. So that became very problematic. Right. And I think that people who study identity, people who are working through empowerment, people who are asking questions like why, are the ones who are going to make some of the biggest differences in individuals' lives. So that's one thing that I found very interesting about you and what I had seen from your tweets and then the Phoenix Empowered.
1: You know, and and that's actually really, really nice and very, very comforting, because I think one of the things that people don't realize is that when you're working at trying to share identity in a way that everyone can connect to it and empower everyone, it can get kind of lonely, because I think people either don't understand it and kind of shut it off, or they understand it, but tangently, they're not Committed to it. So, as I'm sure you know with your work, I mean, when you're committed to something, it can be kind of tough to get it started. So, I'm in that phase now of building a network and building supports, and it's been pretty awesome.
0: Yes, I can very much relate to that. Before we hopped on the call, I was actually just finishing up another one with a friend of ours who had agreed to come on the podcast. So, stay tuned for that, everybody. She's known me for 18 years, and by me, I mean we. She's known us for 18 Mm. years. So there's a lot of different ups and downs that she's seen within the relationship, within the identity. She's heard all the different stories. Like, well, what do you mean, Erica did that? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and right, right. there's a lot of different tricky pieces to that. And then when you take into just identity in an individual, that in of itself gets complicated because people are, I'm, I'm, myself. I'm not sure. I'm curious to see what your perspective of this is. But for me. I have seen more and more people through the lens, and again, through the lens of social media, but a few examples in my day-to-day life where there is this struggle of who do I, who do I want to be? And then the difference between who do I want to be and who should I be?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I see that every day with the clients that I work Mm -hmm. with, but also within my own life. I mean, until two years ago, when I say that I never talked about the struggles that I had that were individual to my circumstances and my experiences, I really didn't. I mean, everybody thought, you know, he's a sunshiny advocate who's always smiling. And while, you know, I may be smiling, I've learned from that moment that it's okay to be authentic. Yeah. And who we should be and who we need to be is not necessarily the strong person that's always caring for others, but it's about being vulnerable so so that you can connect with people. So definitely, I mean, I, I feel that every day, this pull of like, who I want to be but yet who society tells me I need to
0: be. Uh, yeah. That resonates with me very much. I can very much relate to that. There's this struggle cuz I'm a 31-year-old white female, right? So, why don't you have kids? What uh, when are you having when are you having children? When right. are you, oh, you know, it, everybody says that, but my friend's sister's cousin's best friend, you know, doctors told her she couldn't have kids and then she had a miracle baby. Okay. Well, that's great for your friend's cousin's sister's best friend. Right. That's not my story. Stop doing that. (laughs) There's all these different standards that people, for whatever reason, it's not always that they're coming from a place of negativity. They're coming from a place of trying to, I think, generally speaking, they're coming from a place of trying to help and give you hope. I am all for hope, but I'm a realist. If I have had years of tests and studies and all of these different things done where they tell me, They've told me different things like, well, you, you can't have children or others that said you shouldn't. There's a big difference. The shouldn't piece is mm-hmm. the piece that sticks out to me. Can't, shouldn't. There's there's big differences there. And I am perfectly hopeful in that it's certainly possible I could, but the shouldn't piece because the damage that could be, and not even for mental health related issues, I have a lot of physical health problems. Mm. I bring that up because it, it's a projected identity. Uh-huh. Yep, Absolutely my clock is ticking, I won't be able to have kids, and, well, I don't, I don't need kids. I think that I can foster and be perfectly happy doing that. My husband and I have talked about adoption. We've talked about all these different things, and you always get the people, that are like, that's so nice and selfless, and then you get the other people that are like, mm, but don't you want your own kid? I hate when people say that, because for me, if it's my child, it's my child.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely and who are they to define our story you know what i mean
0: yes and i think that's one of the that's one of the identity pieces for me that sticks out within the way that people project these things onto somebody else so another another piece of that of course is people within the lgbtq plus community as a card holding member <laughs>
1: I love that. I feel like I need to use
0: that. <laughs> we heard it from a friend <laughs> years ago, and it always stuck with me. She's like, well, I'm not the spokeswoman of this entire community, but as a card-holding member, <laughs> you that. need to sit down. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like that so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. On my card, it would, right. it would say for some of my parts that they they don't have a specific male-female identity that they refer to themselves, so they just use they. Or they use their individual name. And for me myself, I'm bisexual. I have other parts that are as well. I have other parts that are completely anti-sexual across the board. Like there is nothing about sex that they want to encounter. Mm -hmm. Nothing about physical contact and anything like that. And again, this goes to some of the pieces of identity. With DID, there can be many varying aspects of that within an individual. So working on some of these things, I think, is something that a lot of clinicians, because we do have a lot of clinicians that listen to our podcast and read our blog. So mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of touch on some of that a little bit, because I think it's important to recognize that, okay, so within someone with DID, you're talking there can be five, ten different types of ways to identify it gets really daunting for some psychologists i think too but taking it on an individual basis where you're working with the individual part the individual alter and giving them some of that empowerment and giving them that encouragement and then talking to them about their whys, i think right. that really helps
1: yeah you know and actually that's the perfect segue to tell you a little bit more about what actually is the phoenix empowered because i think yes absolutely it, do that it, it, it definitely touches on some of that and and so Like I said, this journey may have started two years ago, but it's sort of grown and fluctuated in that time. Just to give you some context, I actually didn't come out publicly until maybe hmm, like seven months ago. So at that point, even in my talks, like I never never publicly said, like, I identify as blank. For me, I just couldn't because there was a lot of trauma there. And so I had to kind of figure that out. But as I started telling my story and as I started to get more comfortable... I realized how I also wanted to find people who understood that experience and then recognize that each experience is also different. Mm-hmm. So the Phoenix Empowered operates under the assumption that, you know, these cultural traumas and these cultural experiences that each person has is going to make their journey different. Yes. The, one, the one thing that we can do to kind of unite everyone is to empower each other to tell our stories so that people hear from people that are different from them. And this idea of making us all sort of having that sameness, that humanness of being able to connect in a perfect world. You know, the Phoenix Empowered is me telling my story of using my identities as a way to say like, this is my individual story and I'm going to be vulnerable and share this with you to create a space where we can have a conversation about, well, why don't we share these things? You know, what's stopping communities of color people with disabilities people on the lgbtq plus spectrum mm-hmm. like what what is stopping us from sharing these stories and eventually you know i'd love to add in other voices and new voices and part of our mission is also to collect data to inform practices and advocacy and policy
0: That's fantastic. I was actually going to ask you about that. Are you keeping track of some of these conversations? Is there some sort of research that's going into this data collection? I was going to ask you about that. I have it written down here in my notes. Absolutely. That's a
1: great question. And so what I'm doing this year as like the primary first year of of this platform nonprofit, I'm working on ways to collect data that feel comfortable because I also understand that when you ask people to self-identify on various scales and to talk about their experiences, especially in the context of society and things that are happening. For me, the catalyst of wanting to come out happened during Pulse, when I realized that I wanted to talk about this and nobody could understand why I was upset. Mm -hmm. And I felt so alone and so lost because my friends tried to empathize but couldn't do it because for them, yes, it was a tragedy. For me, it was an attack on my people. Yes. And so there was that difference. And I realized, okay, well, I want to hear more about how are people responding to the things going on in our world so that we can now create policy and supports to hopefully assuage a lot of that pain and a lot of that concern. So we're looking at ways to do that in a way that feels comfortable, looking at what kinds of questions we want to ask, and then looking at what are we going to do with this data? You know, there, there's so many different things that we could do. We're looking at developing curriculum, which would be super exciting. Very that's my main goal, but also maybe even get some research out there for people to read.
0: You have so much going on. I am so glad you came on the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. I hope everyone's enjoying this episode because there's just, these are, these are such important conversations because it, you know, as we spoke about earlier, it goes to some of the whys, the reasons for needing this information, for collecting this type of data, to do this type of research, this work is necessary.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, It's great because at the same time, while I'm exhausted because starting this up is definitely a lot of work with a full-time job, it's also been really exciting to hear people say, like, I want to get involved. People have said, like, if you find funding, let me know. I want a job. And so that's very comforting, and it really gives you a sense of hope. It reminds you that there are people out there who want to do this work and that we're not alone. And so in the ultimate, you know, in my dream, the Phoenix Empowered will grow and really become a global platform for people to connect. That's the plan. And so we'll see.
0: And that would be fantastic. Do a quick plug. Tell people um, your mission statement for the Phoenix Empowered, where they can find you, how they can sign up to get further information, a newsletter or any materials that you have, how they can volunteer, anything like that. Because we have a lot of different people that listen to our podcast and follow us on Twitter of all sorts. So I'm talking like graphic designers, people who do audio work, all sorts of different things that could really help with a startup.
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, our main mission is to empower communities that have been silenced to rise up and to share their stories to create global change. That is what we are here to do every day. And we do that through storytelling. We're gonna be doing that through advocacy and campaigns. We're looking at how do we really dive into every arena, every creative arena and, and have some fun while we do it. And so I would love to hear about communities that maybe need to be empowered or in ways that which we can empower others. So you can find us on the phoenixempowered.org. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And I have to say we're doing pretty well with social media. We're posting every day, so it'll be fun to definitely engage with the listeners and hopefully build a community. That's what it's all about.
0: Yes, that is fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with everybody. I think some of what you are doing here is just like you're taking it one step at a time, and I think that is such an important way to do it because for our listeners, they know that we have had our hands in a lot of different cookie jars. Yeah. And it all it all starts somewhere. So when you have these realistic goals put into place, when you have this drive, when you have like the big goal and then all these little steps that you're taking to get there, that is And again, from our experience, that is just the best way to go about doing it, because then that gets things done.
1: Right. And I mean, I think it's so easy for us to be like, oh, we're not moving fast enough, especially on the day to day. You feel like you're not making progress. But then you have moments where people just say things like, you know, no one's ever said that to me before. I had a moment the other day where I said to someone, I hope you know your light matters. And she said, I'm crying because I don't remember the last time somebody said that to me. And like, that is why I do what I do. And that is why. I share my story and get vulnerable because people don't have that chance to be vulnerable. So let's create that space.
0: That's a really important way of talking about it too because the, the space, uh, we've spoken to many clinicians over the years of, of varying types. Those who are you know working on psych floors and hospitals that are grossly underfunded as well as people on the other end that are doing more private practice, psych work and everything in between including medical doctors. And one thing that I've heard consistently from the ones that are a bit more informed and working in a way that will help more people, I don't mean to negate the work others are doing. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that there's there's a, different, there's a different level. You understand if you go to a doctor, you know who is going to be able to help you and then who is just who doesn't have quite enough knowledge to do so because for anyone who's been to more than one doctor, they've heard the term, you're not in my wheelhouse. It's a frustrating thing to be met with. All right, been there, but, right? When every time I hear a clinician of any type say the say the phrase "hold the space," have the space, that is one that just that's like a red flag for me. That like, all right, this person is thinking about the individual. This person is thinking about who comes to them and who needs these different types of space, because yeah. there's someone who needs a stronger present. There's someone who needs just someone to listen. There, there's endless possibilities here but holding the space that's a big one
1: yeah and I think you know that speaks to the power of our stories I mean that became important to me because at six years old you know a doctor said straight to my face in front of me to my parents you know give up on your dreams that you have for your son he's not going to accomplish what you want him to accomplish you know a young kid in a wheelchair is thinking well if he doesn't believe in me or if she doesn't believe in me then why should I do it oh my god and that can be really, really hurtful. And it was. And luckily, my parents were like, no, we're stubborn. We're not going to believe Good. what you're saying. And I tell my parents all the time that they probably changed that trajectory of my life. Because had they not, I probably would have believed it. And where would I be right now? And so creating that space is something I hold deeply personal. I definitely want everyone who, who comes into my space, who interacts with me, to understand that I want to hear them and that see them.
0: Yeah, and see them. Yeah. That is my God. You know, doctors can be so grossly damaging sometimes. And it yeah. I am pleased to hear that your your parents were dismissive of that doctor. <laughs> and that no yeah. no. We're we're going to stand by our child. We are going to stand behind him and we are going to help this child do what it is this child wants to do.
1: And, and, you know, I'm sure that that person was well-intentioned and thought they were right. doing what was best in preparing my parents for our reality. I think we're missing a big piece of what are, what are we doing about the potential for the person? Uh, why are we yeah. putting them in this box?
0: Right. Disability does not gate possibility.
1: Right. I like that. I like that. You have these great things. I'm just going to write these down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm something of a wordsmith. I enjoy words.
1: I do, too. Uh, I, I really, truly do. One of the most fun projects I've done so far is I actually got to co-author a book of poetry, which was really, really fun.
0: Oh, so very exciting. Yeah,
1: so I love words. I'm with you.
0: Yeah, I think... I think. Okay, so words, words are the biggest way we communicate, right? So people talk about how... Um, and again, I'm going to bridge the gap here to identity, so bear with me. But people talk... Um, there's like a little nursery rhyme, and I'm not, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Pardon my French, that's bullshit. Absolutely. Words and intention are designed to do harm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, a broken bone, that's going to heal. A fracture, that's going to heal. A dislocation, it's going to heal. I've had all of those things. Two very, very many bones and muscles and tendons and all these different things that have been damaged within my physical body they healed the memory's still there though
1: oh yeah definitely uh, yeah i I've, I've been there where you know n- no surgery no pain is, is the same as as what it's like to have to live with that sort of internal dialogue yes. of what people tell you all the time
0: yes and then when it's coupled with people doing it all the time there's there's an argument to be made for when an individual incident of bullying occurs then sure that you know you can you can get past the the hurt of the words but if it's all the time like if you are one of those high school students that is just trapped in this never-ending cycle of bullshit because people are cruel then the people around you need to create a safe space The, the friendships you do have the friendships you're able to make the connections that you make with with teachers or school staff or your relatives your family your siblings Having those safe spaces, that is what creates stability. That is what can assist someone in overcoming the damage of words.
1: Right, and, and I think once you get to that point where you have that safe space, then comes another choice which may be equally as important. You know, what do you do with that experience? Yes. You, can, you can choose to allow it to, and it, excuse me for using the word, but empower you mm-hmm. to, to share that story and to share who you are and to maybe make a difference in the lives of others or you can use it as a way to hold yourself back, and then you're doing a disservice to yourself. So we each have a choice to make.
0: Yes, and I think that sometimes that particular thing is difficult for people to hear because of the space that they are currently in. Absolutely. But Jose's right, and we've spoken, for those who've listened to the podcast before or seen some of our tweets, we've spoken with Arez from the Sheck Check about this before too, is the personal responsibility aspect of that the pain that was caused to you, this is not blame. This is the choice that you make. You, And again, not that the damage that was caused is your fault. I'm not talking fault. I'm talking what you can do to protect your own identity. What you can do to protect your individuality. What you do to protect who you are as a person and your own safe space. If you are in, interacting with people that are damaging the safety of your space, whatever that means for you, whether it be physical abuse, whether it be psychological damage that they're doing, over and over and over, and they just laugh it off, like, oh, I'm just joking. If you've brought up that it is damaging, you got to create a safer space for yourself. And it does come down to choice in a lot of instances. And again, not easy choices. I would say more often than not, these are not easy choices. They are complex. Relationships are complex. People, complex but it comes down to the choices of, okay, this is what I need to do for the benefit of myself. And then I can begin to perhaps help other people.
1: Right. And I think, you know, sometimes you
0: don't make that choice alone, especially right. in
1: situations of physical and emotional violence. You need that support to help. Absolutely. You. Yes. Right. Always create a plan. And I think the next choice is a choice that you get to decide after you're free, yeah. after you've set yourself free, you get to choose how you get to live your life and yeah. what, impact you want your story to have. You get to define yourself, which is the exciting piece. And that's sort of where I'm at. And that's how this project was birthed. And I'm really excited to keep defining and hopefully help others define themselves.
0: I'm really looking forward to see what it is that you're going to be doing here in the future. I am. I don't want to use. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. And yeah, when you're, when you're, pardon the pun, but when you're still in the ashes of developing the full Phoenix, it gets tricky and overwhelming
1: we're still rising it's okay (laughs) still
0: rising right (laughs) but it's it's encouraging to see it's encouraging to see people taking these different pieces of their own stories and then people like you jose who are moving forward with various traumas from their own past and then working with working with the communities who are being ignored that is just a big piece of work that needs to be done
1: yeah and you know i think that kind of work requires you to get in the trenches. Yes. So it's it's not just I'm telling my story and and here you go, you're empowered. It's okay, I'm telling my story, but now let's have a conversation. And let's actually get down on the same level and talk about why is it hard for us to tell our story? Let's let's just be human for a second um, and put in the work. And I'm really excited to really get to enter communities and enter that space and see what that's like.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think... (laughs) So apologies for using the word absolutely so much, but I absol—I have an absolute degree of agreement here. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies again for the repetitiveness. However, it is an absolute that I, I am agreeing with what you're saying. There is, there is a lot of work to be done, and... But there's people doing it, and I think that should be encouraging right. for people. There's people like Jose who are creating the Phoenix Empowered, who are creating these different types of organizations. They're creating these different platforms of safety and a safe space where you can you can come and you can identify with another person who gets where you're coming from. And I think that I was just speaking with someone else the other day, too, Brianna Moss. She's from the south side of Chicago. That's where we grew up. And she's doing this different work where is creating this this space to where people can recognize someone else because having, we had just discussed this in regards to identity and some of the struggles, you can talk to someone and they may be perfectly, perfectly skilled at what it is that they do as far as like a psychologist or something like that, but what if you can't afford it? What if you go there and then you don't, you can't relate to this person because of whatever reason, they're, they're white, they're brown, they're, they have a Latin background. They have whatever it is. Having someone that you can identify with is a huge piece of the recovery process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I think on the other side of that, as as service providers, you know, we have a, a hopefully a responsibility, but also the gift of being able to hear someone's story. And I can guarantee, I haven't had an experience where. I can't empathize with someone because we all go through these hardships. Yes. We all go through tribulations. And you have to be able to put that hat on. And it has to be a no-judgment zone, and I mean a no-judgment zone. So when I worked with interns, I've said, you know, if you're not comfortable seeing a client, I want to know right away because this client deserves the best set, the best, you know, hour of your time. And if you can't give that, that's okay, but I need to know. Um, and, you know, we'll work through why they can't. Because I, don't, I also don't think that that's the uh, best way to operate, but we, we do our best.
0: Right. And very Yeah, very much so. I, I think it's fair to say that the majority of clinicians do their best. Uh, that's one thing that we, we talk about a lot when we do the Living DID uh, lectures and then the course and that. We, we discuss, like, listen, if you if you can't work with someone or if you see that they're pulling back from you, it's okay to discuss that with them and find out why and then have that hard conversation it's going to be uncomfortable but that's that's part of how people grow is the discomfort of conversation and utilizing words they may not like Mm -hmm.
1: yes you grow in discomfort
0: yeah absolutely yeah very much so we're coming to the end of this episode and i just wanted to quickly again thank jose for coming on and discussing the phoenix empowered is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with and then any last tidbits you'd like to share with what they can see from you in the future and the phoenix empowered
1: sure well i think the first part is i hope that this segment has offered you a chance to really think about how you share your story and i think you know coming in from the person that was so afraid to talk about anything that was related to my personal life to my own development and growth there is something that happens there is a something that just clicks when you decide that you want to be vulnerable and authentic and it is a beautiful thing and sometimes it can be scary please know that you know this platform my platform what I'm building here is a space where you can be authentic. And um, in the future, I definitely look forward to sharing my story more and connecting with more people. So if you want to connect, if you need to feel that, come on over to our community and you're welcome, You know, as you are, whoever you are, Uh, we we want you here. And um, I'm really appreciative of being able to kind of have this conversation. It's not very often that I get to just sit and talk to someone who understands. So I'm very grateful, thank you.
0: Yes, of course. I'm I'm thrilled you were able to come on, and I think what we're going to have to do for those listening who've enjoyed our conversation with Jose, we're definitely going to have to have you on again, maybe in like a six-month or a 12-month segment to do like a check-in and see where the Phoenix Empowered has gotten to. Oh,
1: you, you better believe it. I'm in.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. We will definitely be keeping in contact, and we'll see you on Twitter. For sure. All right. Thanks again to Jose from the Phoenix Empowered for coming on the We and Me podcast. Thank you again to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And please stay tuned for a check-in in in a few months with Jose and seeing where he's grown the Phoenix Empowered. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next week.